हेलो एंड वेलकम टू अनदर एपिसोड ऑफ चिपिन अवे विथ योर होस्ट आकाश दुर्गा वेल यूजुअली वी जर्नी इनटू द पास्ट टू स्टडी द पास्ट बट इंस्टेड टुडे वी थॉट वी विल डू समथिंग डिफरेंट लेट्स लुक एट द प्रेजेंट एंड स्टडी द पास्ट यू माइट आस्क हाउ डू यू डू दिस वेल लिसन इन एंड यू विल फाइंड आउट सो सिंस वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट पीपल इन द प्रेजेंट लेट्स लुक एट एथ्नो आर्कियोलॉजी एथ्नो इज पीपल or something that pertains to modern population and archaeology is well study of the past oh so you mean people old study so are we studying old people or are people studying old things or studying old people things no it's modern people and the narratives the tales and the traditional knowledge that they have helps us reconstruct the past so through modern population we study the old or bygone era So how is this different from studying history or what is written Now that's a million dollar question here we talk about oral narratives oral history rather than written sources or literature or words sedimented in texts and it is different because we can get different perspectives from different groups in the society from people with different backgrounds different occupations or people living across a larger geographical area and with these different perspectives we can get a better understanding into putting together the puzzles to reconstruct the past true i mean in the past not everybody knew how to write so whoever wrote was a small percentage of the entire population that's right literature also had other problems such as which king commissions production of what document at what time or after a war which person writes the history that we are well aware of as they say history is written by the victors in the blood of the defeated ouch but yes and that makes ethnographic work more valuable and more current and more timely and even more needed oof i cannot qualify it more more so ethnography gives voice to those who have probably remained voiceless in the past so ethnoarchaeology entails the study of material remains or material sources by collecting narratives about it from the present population or seeing the ways in which the modern population interacts with some material in their present as well as past repertoire of material culture so for instance if a person uses certain types of fishing nets to fish today or certain type of boats to take it out in the sea to fish we can investigate and probably poke and see how was it done in the past and whether some of the traditional methods of let's say boat building or putting the fishing net together has survived into the present and if so why how and how can we get a peek into the past and past methods of fishing from this example fishing for an example i came across the perfect one for a long time ago when archaeologists first found these round stones with holes in them people didn't know what they were for when people started looking around and looking at people they realized that they used to tie this to the end of nets and throw it into the water so the nets would sink so basically these were net sinkers and there are so many other things from south asian archaeology that we have been able to reconstruct or understand because we talk to modern people exactly people after all are treasure troves of their own histories and you'll never know where you could get inspirations or that eureka moment and that's the cool part about ethnoarchaeology that we don't privilege just the text on material culture but take into account what are the current conceptions about certain things 
the material past to be exact current in the modern population and in a way we have people in the present as our collaborators rather than mute spectators as we embark on this quest of putting together the pieces of the past well the more perspectives we get in the better we can fill the narrative of the past so how does ethnoarchaeology come into existence well basically we use the principles of ethnography which is a branch of anthropology that studies people in the present and use it to derive models and ideas and suggestions to study the record of the past which is part of archaeology so basically we are looking at the dynamics of the present to explain the archaeological record and ethnography then has its own place in building or working towards the ethnoarchaeological record exactly durga you are someone who uses ethnography in your work so what do you do how do you use it so i study the sacred narratives on landscape along the west coast of india and sacred narratives are not just oral narratives about a space or about a landscape but it entails how modern population interacts with material evidences buildings architectural remains sculptures at the site to reconstruct or to perpetuate the narratives that are current in the area and what this entails is study of literature collecting data and oral narratives from people who reside in the area and to look at the material culture so it's an amalgamation or a mismatch of lot of these things and the way in which i use ethnography for my work is by talking to people collecting oral narratives from them trying to understand how they make sense of landscape around them or why do they call certain landscapes as sacred and certain areas as profane for example the area around what is known as Gulbekli Tepe in Turkey was considered for a long time in the past and the present as being sacred when archaeologists went there and investigated and dug it up they realized that some of the oldest remains of a religious structure were found there so this concept of sacredness in the landscape possibly extended to at least 10000 years ago in the past but then how do we account for the fact that we are in the present and those people are in the past It's a very complicated question to begin with but there is a simpler way to approach it is probably looking at it through the lens of emic and etic perspectives now it's all jargon i know but etic is understanding or studying a population from an observer's point of view or from the outside and emic is by studying and understanding a population or people or even their narratives by being an active participant or being one of the community now there are various modes and methods in which this can be done so in present context it is a researcher being a part of the community versus a researcher analyzing the community as a lab coat scientist and the true emic perspective comes into play when you are a part of a community or a group of people who are interacting actively with the remnants from the past say for example remains of a temple or the way in which they continue some of the performances both religious and non religious such as ancient ship building techniques we can look at emic and etic or even just the ways in which we interact with old material is through some of the archaeological studies such as the iron age or megaliths that we talked about Another example that I encounter a lot is about traditional shipbuilding techniques. So some of the techniques at sites which were renowned for shipbuilding along the west coast of India have maintained their traditional knowledge through oral accounts. 
sometimes it is a part of a guild that they maintain and they replicate the knowledge or use the knowledge for shipbuilding activities so there are some instances where some small fishing ships have been built constructed or put together using traditional material or locally produced wood i also remember discussing with you when you said based on certain terms and words that they've used in these stories and in the shipbuilding process you could also realize the history of the communities that are involved as well as the interactions they had with other different communities right that is a very worthwhile line to follow is that the ethnographic data gives us a peek into diaspora or migrations or even movement of people along the landscape so in western coast of india for example or in regions of kokan that i had the chance to interact with people some of the sailors or fishermen retain some words which are now almost artifact words from swahili or arabic and these populations or these families have migrated to the west coast of india in medieval period so most of their language or linguistic terms is now marathi or local language but they have retained some words which are reminiscent of the terms associated with specific activities such as fishing or trading and this helps us and even people from linguistic archaeology to reconstruct some of the patterns of movement of people and the people with whom they might have interacted in the near past so language also plays an important role in how these narratives are shaped or presented so yes it's overall a wholesome baggage of cultural history as it were and these are obviously concepts and terms that are not preserved either in literature or in archaeology so it's always fun to you know get more pieces of the puzzle this is also interesting especially when it comes to communities and concepts that probably no longer exist in the present in our last episode we spoke about rock art well rock art refers to signs and symbols of communities that might not always refer to signs and symbols in present communities however there are instances be it with certain populations in australia or north america or even in south asia wherein certain rock art can be traced directly to certain communities so by involving these communities in our research we can kind of understand what these signs and symbols might have represented in the past thus giving us a different perspective on the study of rock art similarly in the performance of certain rituals we use lot of material culture and these objects do not have their cultural significance when they are not being used in a ritual or in a performance and sometimes when we find these objects or something similar in an archaeological site or in archaeological context it helps us reevaluate these objects or understand the cultural significance of these objects by looking at the performances the rituals or traditions in the present so this continuity of performance or performativity helps us connect these material objects with the performance and therefore the cultural milieu in which they are set in true an example of this could be clay figurines if you could find a clay figurine normally maybe it could be considered a toy however in certain religious aspects some clay figurines have a different connotation maybe they are an expression of a goddess or they might be sacrifices you are making in your ritual so if we find this in the archaeological record we need to go back to its context is it in a domestic space or a ritualistic space or if so if it is just an object out of space maybe we can probably assign multiple interpretations based on looking at it from the modern times and this brings to mind akash's favorite line that context is important 
context is everything <laughs> yeah and ethnology actually helps us contextualize lot of material data and even some of the narratives actually to reconstruct some of the things from the past and also to understand some of the movements or naming of the landscape or sacralizing of landscape and other such processes which don't have a methodical written history for them so when shakespeare asked what's in a name he didn't consider the ethnographic approach of thousands of years of oral tradition and history behind it and now that you mentioned place names place names are an important aspect in archaeological research believe it or not as we mentioned in one of our previous episodes place names give a clue into the past of that place or region based on the name or nomenclature similarly when we look at it through ethnographic lens or through ethnoarchaeological lens we can understand some of the attributes associated with that place such as that of the place being a sacred space or a place playing some role in some larger narrative which was attributed to the past and things like that we can think on the lines of place names that derive their name or the places that are named after a principal shrine in the city or the temple for instance the villages or cities with principal shiva shrine are named after the name of the temple maybe trambakeshwar amarnath or other such areas which derive the name from one of the monument in the city similarly there are some other place names which derive their name based on a prominent person who either ruled from the city or was resident in the city there is one particular case of musa kaji along the west coast of india and musa kaji is musa that is a person from egypt and kazi so his occupation was that of a kazi or being a judge in the village and he was a pious person and a very reputed person and people wanted to remember him for generations to come hence they named their village as musakaji so there are a lot of interesting aspects that we can weave together from these oral narratives to understand the history and the backdrop of the place so you mean to say studying the changes in names could help us study the past another example of how place names can help us reconstruct the past could be the story of new york and how new york became new york new york originally was called new amsterdam because this region had dutch residents and this area was something they called after amsterdam a city from where they came from later on when the dutch sold it to the british the british residents decided to call it something different and they named it after york which was another city in england so hence it became new york and it continues to the present so next time when you listen to a name of a place why don't you give it a thought what could the name signify was it related to an important historical event or an historical person who knows what treasure troves that name and place could have in store for you speaking of stories we would like to mention that this will be the last episode of this season of chipping away i hope you've had fun listening to all our stories and journeys to the past of south asia but don't worry we'll be back soon well not in 15 days but we'll be back soon with season 2 in the meanwhile you can keep yourself busy by listening to some of our previous episodes or you could also check out some of the other things we have planned in store for you and before we close our episode for this season we owe a big thank you to all of you we would like to thank bus proud for hosting our podcast and we would like to thank university of calgary for giving access to some of the resources so we would like to thank all of the speakers who came online and gave us their time and their expertise it was a lot of fun to talk to all of y'all so we'd like to thank you all miss ruta wagmare baptista 
Dr. Uishi Roy, Ms. Ratashri Kola, Dr. Andre Paprista, Ms. Amanda Dataig, and Dr. Chitramala Tarangini. And special thanks goes to Kuro for lending us his voice that made us all go woof woof. And most importantly, we would like to thank all of you, all the listeners who supported us, encouraged us, and gave us your valuable comments. So in the meanwhile, when you have a lot of time to ponder about the existence of the universe, you could also drop in a line to us at chipinawayind at gmail.com as well as follow us on Twitter and Instagram at chipinawayind. We would love to hear what suggestions you have for season 2. We have a lot planned in store for you. We'll be looking at making our social media presence available on Facebook and even YouTube. We're probably also going to start our own website. And don't forget... We have a lot of other things going on on our Twitter page and our Instagram. So, who knows, you'll probably see another A to Z coming up soon. And we hope that this little initiative of Chipping Away has been a worthwhile endeavor to give you a little break from the stress times and pandemic that we had since March. Thank you all and see you. At the end of the day, just remember to keep chipping away. Chipping Away